Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your cultural appropriation host, Hobby. <laughs> and uh, this is episode two of our Karate Kid uh, review series, I guess. Review, whatever. Discussions. Yeah, we're not really professionals. <laughs> it's hard to describe what we do because, yeah, we review the movies. We describe the movies. Yeah, we you know live that, the movies. You know that fucking useless hobo that'll come up to you at a bus stop and like give you an opinion on something that you absolutely don't want? That's us with movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually very <laughs> appropriate to do. We're the dickhead that tells you about our IPA at parties. <laughs> and uh, this week we're talking about The Karate Kid 2. Uh, starring, once again, Ralph Macchio and Pat Morita. They are pretty much our only returning characters from the original movie. Uh, like, everyone else around them from part one has completely disappeared outside of, like, one scene in the movie. Yeah, so, so in the beginning, you don't see anybody from the rest of the, <laughs> from the first film ever again. Yeah, so the movie, the this movie starts, like, almost exactly... Where the first one ends, right? Um, mm-hmm. Daniel has just won the All Valley Karate Tournament. He is in the showers for some inexplicable reason, having a discussion with Miyagi while he's showering. And uh, once they exit oh. this place, you know, uh, Miyagi tells him, oh, Ali and mom waiting in the car. And it's like, yeah, of course, like the characters that are very clearly not here anymore <laughs> are the ones that are waiting for us off screen. And they're I, waiting in the car forever. <laughs> I probably should say as well, like, I'm not going to give Elizabeth Shue a bunch of shit for this because apparently the reason why she is not a part of this project is because she was, I guess, going to uh, going to Harvard. So she was getting her education and uh, was not available to return to this. So by the time... Uh- nerd <laughs> karate kid is 1986 by the time she ends up doing back to the future part two and three it's like 89 90 so it's some time after this mm-hmm. so you know i'm not gonna blame her too much for being gone but i will say this you know I, up until we did our review of part one or i rewatched part one for the first time in years i thought that i was a lot more of a stand for the relationship uh between daniel and ali from the first movie but i gotta be honest coming back to this series again and then seeing how this movie kind of rolls out i'm okay with her not being in this series anymore (laughs) it makes it yeah you know and 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 also gives a little bit more substance to daniel honestly like, I have a feeling that we wouldn't have learned as much about him as, like, a character if he just stuck with the one girlfriend the entire film. But I think, like, especially in this movie, or I'm sorry, in the entire series, but especially in this movie, like, not only did he learn from his, uh, you know, Daniel does Okinawa trip, but also he kind of <laughs> learned a lot from uh, from his uh, love interest in this film as well. Yes. So um, I th- think we can go ahead and get started started i mean we already talked about what the beginning of this is right after they yeah, well i mean and you, you all you said was that you mentioned the creepy possible <laughs> pedophilic crime that almost took place in that shower <laughs> i was very uncomfortable with mr miyagi like just being right around the corner of all the young young men <laughs> showering and shit <laughs> well speaking of creepy well speaking of criminal activity <laughs> once we get up to the parking lot 
Uh, that's when we see the Cobra Kai. And uh, at this point, Kreese is so disappointed with how Johnny performed in the All-Valley Tournament that he is now threatening Johnny's life <laughs> while nearly strangling a child, which makes what? me look at Cobra Kai even more differently because Johnny Lawrence is very much an abuse victim of his karate sensei. What a well-adjusted... <laughs> And normal adult who never lets his emotions get the better of him in John Kreese is what I have to say. <laughs> like, holy shit, he almost kills this kid. He like puts him in a fucking chokehold or some shit. And if it wasn't for Mr. Miyagi like actually intervening, um, because you know, inter- you know, Mr. Miyagi isn't a piece of shit like John Kreese. Like, I honestly am afraid of what would have happened to John Lawrence as a character. In Cobra Kai, the series would have been much darker in retrospect. John Kreese is very much a uh, monster. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so in this scene, when he's threatening all the children, that's when uh, Mr. Miyagi and Daniel show up again. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't bad enough that he was just a complete fucking dickhole in part one, they figured, you know what, let's just go all in and make him racist. Which, you know, I felt I had the vibe that came off of Crease of that in the first movie where I felt that he was like a raging racist. I mean, he went to, you know, he's a middle-aged white guy in the 80s who went to Vietnam. It's like, you know, I know what he's he had about. certain <laughs> sensibilities yeah. that may not be the most woken variety. And then decides that it's a wonderful idea. Just in case we didn't already hate this character enough, now he's going to refer to Mr. Miyagi as a racial slur, which uh, is going to cause, I guess, Mr. Miyagi to make him embarrass himself, uh, make Kreese embarrass himself by, like, Kreese wanting to punch two car windows next to each other. It's kind of a gag, right? Like, I mean, the first one he, like, hits, tries to hit Miyagi. Miyagi, like ducks away like batman and the next thing you know crease like hits the window and like his knuckle is bleeding and decides oh you know what's you know it's really smart now that this has happened to me let me do the same thing again on the other side oh look now my other hand's bleeding (laughs) i'm a red-blooded american and i have the right to bear two arms So he tries to take a swing and fucking let what it was like watching Goldberg punch what he thought was gimmick glass back in the 90s. You know what? And you really need to explain that because you know, no, for people who don't know what you know anything about pro wrestling, what Javi is referring to is in you know, in, in pro wrestling, there was a promotion called WCW, and in the late 90s, they had Bill Goldberg. Uh, wrestling there and I guess for some sort of wrestling angle he was supposed to punch through the window of a limousine and uh, typically you know what they do in pro wrestling much like in movies they will have like the stunt glass inside the window right so like Mm -hmm. you punch through the window and it's not gonna it's basically like sugar glass and it's not gonna hurt you well for some reason Bill Goldberg decided that he wanted to method act the shit out of this thing and actually punch uh you know the the actual window window. in a car and apparently what happened was he like obviously starts hemorrhaging all over himself and 
I don't, I sometime later it was reported that he like just barely missed a uh, major artery. <laughs> so he is very lucky that he escaped that stupid decision that he made with his life. And uh, yes, that is exactly what I thought about when I saw John Kreese <laughs> punching windows. He's, and he's... funny enough, I was looking on IMDb and he had an actual accident on set. And the blood that you see, at least for one of the knuckles or one of the points in this scene, is actual blood uh, resulting from an injury he suffered on set. What is it with these big tough guy dickheads that keep like mangling their hands? Well, let's be clear. Crease <laughs> Crease did not demand to punch the window of, of an actual car like Bill sure Goldberg did. did. I'm pretty sure the guy that played John Crease was like Pamarita little bitch. <laughs> Watch me punch <laughs> this glass. While yelling Asian racial slurs at the same time. <laughs> All right, I think we spent entirely <laughs> we spent entirely too much time on the beginning of this movie. Um, I would say, I guess what we normally do at the beginning of the episode, and before we well, get the into only... the quote unquote actual story of this, have you seen Karate Kid two before, or is this your first time like seeing this movie? Well, before I answer that, the only other thing I wanted to bring back, or you know, talk about in the beginning is the fact that Mr. Miyagi threatens the, the killing blow on Kreese, and instead he just honks his nose because he's a dumb bitch. <laughs> and he ends up just honking his nose. And that's important because it comes back later, I promise you guys. But anyway, to answer your question, the yeah, I've seen bits and pieces never in the entirety. I never saw enough to, any, to get any actual like memory of this film. So I can say this is my first time. Wa- I'll say this is my first time watching it because it's my first time sitting down and, actu- and actually watching it. Now I've seen Karate Kid two a few times, but we're talking nearly ten years ago at this point. And I'd say out of all the movies in this franchise, Karate Kid two is actually the one that I remembered the least. And the only thing I've Did remembered you- about it is that. Uh, is is that Daniel was going to go to Okinawa with uh, Mr. Miyagi. Did you drive this mother where like you made up the movie and the movie was completely different than what you were actually watching? <laughs> no, I, what I, but I, there was like things I didn't remember about it. Like, you know, once we get into the actual, once we get into the villain of this movie, both the villain to Miyagi, but also more importantly, the psychopath villain to uh, Daniel in this. Um, I was like, yeah, this is a lot darker than I remember it being, especially because, spoiler alert for people who may not know yet, um, uh, Cobra Kai season three is the season of that series that actually leans in the heaviest to Karate Kid 2 mythology. So, uh, yeah, and even based on how that show portrays it, like, I don't remember it being as high stakes as it actually ends up being here. So, um, again, yeah, I've seen it lots of times, but a long time ago. And the last time that I saw it, you know, I thought I remembered it very clearly, but there's stuff I don't remember from it. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, this is it's it was nice to rediscover it for this episode. So should we take it away right into the pretty much now that the the prologue's done, just jump into the meat and potatoes of it? 
Yes. So this is the right, so... this is the movie in the series where we get introduced to the koi pond and the zen garden <laughs> that uh, is outside of miyagi's house i think in the first movie we really only saw the inside of miyagi's house and the you know the yard where all the cars are this time we've that actually... makes a lot of s- okay that makes a lot of sense because by the time i watched cobra kai and this location makes a return in the series it meant nothing to me really Aside from just the fact, like the little bit of time we see Daniel spend uh, some time with Miyagi at this house in um, in Karate Kid One, yeah. So it's like at this point is really, really interesting because it really is like you see how it builds up to become uh, the Miyagi Do Dojo. Yeah, and even in the first movie, I swear I thought in the first movie they showed what this little like garden looks like, but that's not the case. Uh, in the first movie, you're really just watching Daniel wax the cars and put up the fences that will be around all this stuff, but you don't see you know this stuff until now, right? So, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, in here, Daniel is like showing up at Miyagi's house, like in a in a tuxedo (laughs) he shows up in a tuxedo and literally this is how we dispose of ali for this movie he goes well she ran off with some sort of football player at ucla and uh (laughs) great fucking job (laughs) writing team like that was solid like okay apparently he was wearing the tuxedo because it was senior prom did you get any inclination that he had gone to prom? It felt like summer. Like, this felt more like uh, you are in the first couple days of summer vacation. So why would there have been a prom last night? Like, not only that, if she ran off with the UCLA, like, football player, again, playing to what you just said, it feeling like summer. Like, do you have the latest <laughs> fucking prom in the history of ever? I Yeah, <laughs> The, the timeline of all of this does not make any sense to me. I'm a little concerned. Funny enough. Who I has think- prom in the middle of the day, by the way? Like, <laughs> what was the other part? Was either, it a brunch prom? Well, no. Either he, like, slept in his tuxedo the night before. Because he it is very clearly, like, midday by the time he gets to Miyagi's house. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's like. And, and- oh, that's even sadder now. <laughs> <laughs> that implies that he spent prom night arguing with Allie because she was leaving. Yeah. Man, this movie sucks now. <laughs> now I hate it. Well, funny enough, it's just like the other thing too is that like, all right, now that Daniel's mom is not, we did not bring her back for this movie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we are very clearly now just going to set up that, you know, Daniel and Miyagi have this like, marty and doc brown like (laughs) relationship where both of them are generations apart but it just is gonna have to make sense for this movie and we just don't question it but it also just doesn't make any sense (laughs) at all and it's it's bizarre whenever like a movie tries to deposit that a guy or like a kid and another person like 30 to 40 years older than him like just like they just get along like Gran Torino does the same thing with Clint Eastwood in the Hmong family and I'm just like I don't doubt it's that- just a weird it's a weird trope it's like it, to me anyway I just like I get what they're going for but it's always a weird trope and it's a weird common trope yeah I don't doubt that that kind of stuff happens but it's just I, I, 
the movie's gonna get really good once they get into Okinawa. But it's the get setup the fuck out of LA. <laughs> yeah, it's the setup and all the stuff in LA where it just feels really rushed, forced. And this movie, they went into production really shortly after Karate Kid One came out. To the point where I think this movie comes out either one or two years after the original Karate Kid. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing too is I didn't notice this before until watching this movie. Even though it's only been like one year or so, like Ralph Macchio looks noticeably older in this <laughs> than he does in the first one. And uh, he even looks like, you know, was he in college? Because he even feels like he put on maybe a freshman 10 at least, or a freshman 15. Like, something in his face Oh a no, lot that... more full now. No, I can't wait till we get to Karate Kid Part 3, because friend of the show, Eddie, brought it to my attention when I told him we were doing this series, where he's like, wait till we get to Karate Kid Part 3, and the gi starts fitting a little bit tighter than it did in Karate <laughs> Kid. <laughs> All right. <laughs> there's definitely, yeah, there's definitely a, I don't want to body shame, I'm pretty fat, dude. <laughs> But uh, I mean, yeah, Ralph Macchio, Ralph Macchio in part two, uh, he looks, there's a little pudge there. There's I'm little, I'm there's... in very out of shape, thirty plus year old man. So I'm not. You shut up! You're trying your best. I'm not here to body shame him either. I'm just saying that in terms of him playing the same character that we saw in Karate Kid one, you're starting to stretch a little bit of that. Uh, <laughs> The uh, gee cotton. <laughs> You're starting to stretch the uh you know believability of this. The believability the of all of this. <laughs> the spandex starts losing a little bit of its elastic. <laughs> we need to stop. I don't like this. I don't like where this is going. Especially since Ralph Macchio can kick both our asses. As much as this Ralph Macchio is actually really freaking skinny. I know he's better. He looks way better at like forty six than we do at like early thirty. Well, he's in his fifties now. Let's be clear. Holy shit! And he can still <laughs> kick our asses. <laughs> All right. So, um, I guess Mr. Miyagi hears that something. He right as they're in this garden having this conversation about how Daniel's mom has to go to Fresno and work there for the summer, and that's why Daniel's going to have to leave the valley. Um, while he's talking to Miyagi, and they're kind of talking about why doesn't Daniel just stay with Mr. Miyagi, for some reason, this nosy-ass mailman just pops into the backyard of Mr. Miyagi's house and gives him a insanely conveniently timed postcard about what's happening back in Mr. Miyagi's motherland. So the, which mm-hmm. <laughs> again the movie's gonna get better but this this introduction is what i'm not really wild about because it's just you know it wasn't he was a loner in the first movie like miyagi mm-hmm. didn't talk and miyagi barely talked and now all of a sudden we find out that there's this entire miyagi extended universe that exists in like another country uh outside of just his wife which was a very serious like emotional arc out of the first movie like to the point where we talked about it like that scene that he has with daniel in the first movie is what gave pat marita the academy award nomination Mm -hmm. because it was that good but okay (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't want to get too angry at all of this, but oh no, I'm gonna get a little bit angrier when we get later on in this film. <laughs> don't you worry about that, buddy. <laughs> all right, so this 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 you know interestingly timed postcard tells me that he has to go back to Okinawa, and it's his father that's passing away, right? Mm-hmm. And it's and he is the grandfather of Miyagi Do Karate, so. You know, uh, Mr. Miyagi is going to go fly over to see him. And Daniel takes it upon himself to buy himself a ticket and stock this old man on the way <laughs> halfway across the world. After he even tells him, hey, no, like, like, I guess that originally the pl- I think you mentioned it earlier that originally the, the plan was for Daniel to stay at Miyagi's uh, instead. Right. Yes. And so he tells him, no, that can't happen anymore. I'm going to Okinawa. And Daniel's like, I'm going to choose not to listen to what you said. (laughs) Oh, you know that thing you said? I'm going to do the exact opposite of that. And then to make matters worse, he fucking apparently takes out like a huge portion of his, what's it called? His uh, college fund, which he's supposed to start in the fall. Yes, which we have no idea which college he's even gotten into. I mean, it. Let's say if this movie really, if this movie wanted to do something interesting, they could have said, you know what, Daniel decided he's not going to go to university; he's going to go to community college. But it makes zero sense. Like, especially since, of course, we've talked about it. We don't know what time of the year this is. Like, none of this makes sense. Is it the summer? Isn't at some point Daniel's going to have to come back and do some sort of orientation and prep himself for school? How far is he going to live from his campus? Where is he even going to school? Uh, you know, you know what you're doing, Angel. The problem is you're thinking about it. Don't think about it. All right. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> That's not how life stop. works. All right. You listen to you listen to karate, and karate tells you what to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's how this film works so he ends up going so he ends up meeting up with uh miyagi down at the airport and they get uh on this plane to okinawa uh and you know the entire time <laughs> i thought it was kind of funny like i thought it was it, it was funny seeing um because having been on uh on miyagi's end of this conversation where you get a guy that's learning about your culture and then he starts being like did you know this about your own culture and then you're like oh yeah that's fascinating yeah i did know that (laughs) but you know you don't want to be a dickhead because they're learning and they're actually taking an interest (laughs) tell me more white man (laughs) (laughs) white explain my culture some more there buddy (laughs) so it's like but you know what daniel's actually trying little fucking tony danza daniel out here he's making an effort so when they land in Okinawa, they're actually uh, they, they they find that there's a driver waiting for them. So they end up meeting up with them. They introduce themselves, and this is where we get introduced to uh, chosen chosen Toguchi. Well, we're gonna call him chosen. Yeah. We're just gonna call him chosen. Um, but oh, sorry, I, I skipped over. Yeah, we'll call him chosen, but um. Uh, before we get to that, I don't want to skip over the part where uh, Miyagi actually tells the story about, you know, why things might be awkward when he gets to Okinawa. Uh, Miyagi, uh, he, you know, talking to Daniel, he explains how he fell in love with Yuki, uh, who was arranged to actually be married to his to Miyagi's best friend Sa- uh, Sato. Yes. Uh, who happened to be one of the richest guys in the village. 
And not only that, he was also a practitioner of Miyagi-Do who was taught by Daddy Miyagi himself. Yeah. So, um, but however, once he found out about them, uh, when Sato found out about Miyagi and Yuki having feelings for each other, Sato decides to challenge (laughs) (laughs) Miyagi to a fight to the death. And winner gets to marry Yuki. Which, all right. (laughs) The Japanese take honor super serious. Okay, wait a minute. Do you remember when, and I will ask myself this time and time again while we're watching this movie. I'll be like, damn, do you remember when this was just a movie about some kid who was being bullied that won like a regional karate tournament? (laughs) We are going to go so far away from all of this. Suddenly, it went from a kid trying to stand up to his bully to fucking Okinawan blood feuds for honor. This would be such a departure from when Karate Kid 1 was. But you know what? I'm not hating it. Just saying. Oh, man. So pretty much what ends up happening is Miyagi leaves the country because he doesn't want to fight his best friend to the death and it turns out that sato after all these years is still holding a grudge against miyagi so miyagi's not only going to care for his dad in his final days but also to kind of bury the hatchet between him and sato um and apparently it's very common for people to have these like decades-long grudges because there's no I guess there's no expiration date on for defending your honor or some shit. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I mean, what? Well, if the Godfather has taught us anything, it's that vendettas last forever. Now, this is the part where I just had, hey, that sounded really cool. But anyway, <laughs> this is the part where I had a problem, like kind of a problem, not really a problem. This is me, I guess, being nitpicky. Like, so he pretty much mentions that Yuki is the love of his life. This is where I felt weird because it's like, but what about your dead wife? Oh, no. I have a big problem with this. I have a massive problem. Okay, with cool. This. The, again, we just talked cool, about 100% it. Now. Okay, Mr. Cool. Miyagi's wife and unborn child who died. It, it was the emotional arc that Miyagi was going through. And the idea was the reason why you felt that he connected with Daniel is because in Daniel, he was able to recoup or or or, re, or find something to make his life worth living again after all after the two people that he cared about the most were gone. So now and, and that's where the problem of like now that we're introducing all these other people, that's where it kind of like dilutes that. Because, you know, again, we talked about it. The Academy, mm-hmm. the Oscar nomination comes from the scene where Miyagi's drunk and like, you know, talking about how his wife being in an internment camp. <clears throat> if he really cared about his wife, why does he come back? And why is he so... Where did Miyagi meet his wife? Did they meet in America, I guess? But it's just I like... I guess that's what this movie did, <clears throat> was it? Yeah, I mean, like, it's just... it, it Again, it, it, it's... I'm not crazy about what it's doing in relation to the first movie. I'm going to go with it. It takes a while. <laughs> because, <Yeah. clears throat> well, we talked about John G. Avildsen, who was a director of part one. And if I remember correctly, I think he directed this one as well, right? 
Yes, he. Uh, let me see. Um, yeah, yes. John D. Avildsen no. also. Yeah, he did. He did. He directed this one as well. And John D. Avildsen did, you know, Rocky. And I would say much like Rocky, you know, it starts as like a really simple underdog story about a guy who's, you know, a low level, like, you know, barely scraping by like, you know, prize fighter who ends up uh, almost knocking out the heavyweight champion of the world. Like it's a simple premise. It's this guy who shouldn't have been there, who just ends up almost, who just ends up going the distance. Right. And it's a it's important <laughs> to point out that it's a it's a story of a overperforming Italian stallion <laughs> that challenges the local champion and takes her to the limit. Except in Karate Kid, where he you know the Italian stallion actually wins. Yeah, and then by the time you get to like, which I'm gonna say, my second favorite Rocky movie besides Rocky One is Rocky Four. Yeah, that's and- fucking right baby <laughs> and you can't find any more disparate movies from each other than the serious gritty rocky one compared to the absolute camp that was rocky four that actually even people are dying in the ring by that so this movie relates to kind of the crazier installments of the rocky series in that you're basically so far away from where the series started but it's good enough that i'm just going to go ahead and go with it I'm not crazy yeah. about where we're going. I don't like the fact that now we're introducing people that kind of makes it to where does Miyagi's relationship matter? I don't know. We'll see. But let's just whatever. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll go punch. where the movie decides that it wants to take me. It may take away the gut punch from the first film, but I mean the I mean Yuki's also a very likable character as we continue through the film. Yes. And Yuki's um, granddaughter, is it her granddaughter or is it her niece? Uh Kumiko is her niece. Okay, so you know, her niece, Kumiko, <laughs> is the love interest in this movie. And mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, <laughs> I thought I really liked the relationship between Daniel and Ali from Karate Kid One. What I discovered watching this movie is I actually like the relationship between Daniel and Kumiko maybe, dare I say, better than the relationship between Ali and Daniel from part one. Um, and it's different. It's not the same thing. Like, and I think that that's kind of an interesting like thing, right? Is like you're not basically going to introduce like Ali 2. Like, you know, movies mm. can do movies can do these really bad things where it's like you want to show one character dating, like where women are very, you know, one dimensional and they don't really have anything about them that's different. A lot of the, I'm looking at you, Transformers series. <laughs> a lot of the banter that I loved in Karate Kid one between Aunt Daniel and Ali, he can't really have that with Kumiko because they have a bit of a language barrier. And, and, the even cultural the, difference and the cultural difference and the colloquialisms are different and it's just there's there's so many differences there that the relationship feels a lot more it feels a lot more serious mm-hmm. but it's also it but it's it, i think the fact that there is that language barrier it makes it unique so you're not so you don't feel like you're just watching daniel fall in love with the same girl in different movies and also they fall in, like the way they fall for each other is different because it feels like the catalyst in this relationship is like through physical movement right 
Yes. Like Dan- he- Daniel is highly creepy in certain scenes in part one with just how like overtly just he places himself in front of Allie to get noticed. In this one, he's yeah. not really doing that. And like you said, a lot of the kind of communication interest and relationship that blossoms out of stuff, a lot of it is nonverbal. And that's mm-hmm. that's good acting. Yeah, because even like the, in the beginning when they first meet each other, it's like she sees him when he's practicing karate because that's when he's trying to uh, master like the, the drum technique, right? And then that's when she in, like introduces the idea of like how karate and dancing are very similar because it's about like expression through movement and movement of your body. And she like um, kind of shows the traditional Japanese dance that she practices. So it, already it was like a completely different um, even introduction. I thought it made it it made it a lot more interesting than just the cookie cutter way things worked between uh, Daniel and Allie in the first one. So, yeah, uh, let's jump back in, though. <laughs> so Chosen uh, ends up picking up uh, Miyagi and Daniel. And while at first, uh, Chosen appears very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Friendly, amicable. Uh, you know, he seems happy to see Miyagi and Daniel. Uh, a flip switches sometime during the drive when uh chosen ends up taking uh miyagi to uh see sato down at like this i guess this uh shipyard it looks like kind of a shipyard uh because as we find out sato actually works he's become like this rich industrialist and he's pretty much he he's brought commercial fishing to uh their local village and kind of pushed out any of the small time local fishermen uh, because he brings in these giant like fishing ships that pretty much overfish the local waters and have to go deeper and deeper into the ocean. Um, so when they end up uh, going there, Sato confronts Miyagi again, demanding that uh, confrontation, demanding the end of their blood feud, to which uh, Miyagi continues to refuse. Um, and I think... Uh, Sato uh, lets him, you know, this, he, he tells Miyagi to leave, but he does uh, demand, like, he wants to give him time to, to take care of his father, but pretty much tells him, like, this isn't over, right? So Daniel and Miyagi take a taxi and actually ride to uh, Miyagi's home village or hometown called Tomi Village. Um, and this is where we learn a lot about the history of kind of like what it was like for Miyagi growing up, um, how a lot of the, a lot of the, and also just kind of how Sato is kind of like screwed over the local village and like he's essentially turned everyone in the village to sharecroppers and that he's like, he's buying up all this land and kind of, uh, and kind of forcing people into, into like further debt. Um, and then, you know, we get to, we get to meet, uh, Yuki as a character who we found out never married Sato, uh, because she still loves Miyagi and we get to see their relationship kind of blossom. And, you know, again, kind of like what Angel was talking about earlier, it, you feel super weird because you get the emotional gut punch of what, like what Miyagi went through and losing his 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 wife and his child 
in that first film so you do feel weird like like you don't like you don't know exactly how to take this but at the same time like i do like the i do like the 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 relationship we see blossom because it's like i just like seeing miyagi happy like homie gets to be happy too right <laughs> so at this point um this is where uh i think this is the the point where miyagi's father uh passes away and sato ends up demanding the blood feud but first he wants to give miyagi three days to 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 mourn uh the loss yes. and i'm just like what we're <laughs> like it's like basically turned into a western now where like both of these guys are gonna end up dueling to the death and you know funny enough like the actor who plays um chosen He's been in lots of stuff. Like he has a very recognizable face. But I swear, mm-hmm. I was telling you while we were watching this movie and texting you. But what I know him best for, and for those of you who watch Disney Channel original movies, you'll remember him as Johnny Tsunami's dad from the Disney Channel original movie Johnny Tsunami, in which he, like, is a very straight laced, uptight guy who's like you know wants johnny to be less of a slacker surfer like his grandfather and more uptight like he is and uh yeah like just so to see him you know playing this like very like he says everything with a japanese accent and it's like if you've seen like this actor's like american stuff he he talks english very well (laughs) so so they are putting this on funny enough you know who else i saw in this movie as well like in a very brief like cameo bd wong is in this yeah i remember you mentioned that (laughs) and for those of you who don't know who bd wong is he was in jurassic park as dr henry Wu and returns in jurassic world and jurassic world fallen kingdom and for any of you who watch gotham he was dr hugo strange on that series Oh yeah, he. I, I bet he played a good strange. He's pretty good. Yeah, this is, this is really like you know. I, I, my thoughts on that show were I like it, even though I had no business liking something like that. Yeah, we talked about it. How wrong you are. So <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, once Miyagi's father passes away, besides this, like you know three days to doomsday for Miyagi. We also have this... You know what this... that reminds me of? Sorry for, sorry for interrupt. It reminds me of that episode of Hey Arnold when when uh, what's his name? Hel- when what's her name? Helga was sitting outside of Arnold's window and just like yelling and being like 12 hours, 36 minutes whatever until you die. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing it reminded me of another Nickelodeon property was it also reminds me of like when SpongeBob is getting bullied and that other guy tells him he's going to kick his butt and SpongeBob is trying <laughs> to trying to run away and escape to anyone who will listen, even though none of these guys are particularly cowards. You know, it's just it's some of the insults that uh, Chosen lobs at Daniel's way are not that insulting by no. today's standards. <laughs> Calls him coward like 50 times times and this is like oh you're a coward um what is the other stuff he says oh you know it's miyagi and his baby i'm like what is this what the hell kind of insults are these 
I'm like, I'm pretty sure in Okinawa that fucking kills, but like, <laughs> compared. <laughs> and at least I would call him like a stupid, a stupid piss baby. Like that feels like it hurts <laughs> feelings more than regular baby. <laughs> that sounds slightly more painful. <laughs> yeah, like damn, you just call me a stupid piss baby. How am I gonna recover? Damn, my feelings hurt. Yeah, damn. So this is what it feels like <laughs> when doves cry. <laughs> um, and I don't know. Does Chosen have any interest in Kumiko, or is she just like there in his way, like to get to Daniel? I think it's implied that he had an interest in her at one point, but she wasn't. I swear to you, funny enough, like I, I really thought that much like Allie and Johnny, that, that, that their relationship was that they were together at some point, but I, obviously the movie doesn't really, it doesn't really imply that too much or, or no, it really doesn't imply it, anything like that. No, um, I think what it was, it was something mentioned in passing that, I mean, I guess that because they I mean, grew up small together. Island, right? So it's like, yeah. you know, it's, it's not, it's not unbelievable that they would, probably at some point have interest in each other funny enough when when these characters were it was rumored on the internet that they would return to cobra kai for some reason i thought that they would be together by then but going back and watching this movie and realizing how threatening chosen was to daniel and kumiko yeah there's no way they would have ended up together. oh yeah because he's a fucking sociopath like yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong he's a sociopath that when his shirt rips off he's fucking jacked and looking like a caesar salad with how shredded he is well he also okay so there's a scene where he is like breaking either cinder blocks or something oh no the ice, are you talking about the ice no uh, before the ice we're talking about it was like something on a cart that he was like you know oh no he was selling um pretty much he was like buying uh he was buying crops. Okay. So that's what it was. The villagers were selling crops and he was buying them off them to like, you know, reduce their rent and shit. But he had the uh he had the scale uh rigged. Mm-hmm. So it would weigh them uh lighter than it really was, so he would pay out less money. Right. And what he was weighing was like not like yeah, yeah, I remember now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he's basically scamming the town and Daniel like inadvertently like uncovers his scam in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like he dishonors shows his like profession. Mm-hmm. He embarrasses him in front of his uncle later at the bar when they have that uh the ice block scene, which is like, okay, so there's a bunch of you would imagine American soldiers that are that are stationed out here in Okinawa. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, Okinawa was actually like the Okinawa scenes are actually filmed in Hawaii, so uh, they did not actually shoot this in Japan or like or in Okinawa proper. Um, it was shot in Hawaii, but it feels you know it feels really Eastern, so it's like you for, know, some, for for us stupid Americans who don't know better, yeah, like yeah, I, I'll I'll buy it. Hey, you know what? Hawaii is Jurassic Park, and I and I buy it and don't ask any questions either. So. You know, good job for the set designers on this. <laughs> um, so anyway, we go into this bar. There's a bunch of American soldiers that are in there. And I guess they're like all taking bets on all these like really dumb things on people who are going to you know use their hands to chop ice blocks. And, you know, Daniel, like because now he's becoming even more of the 
okay this guy <laughs> this guy barely learned karate like six months ago mm-hmm. and he even got he even scammed his way into the tournament because Miyagi stole someone else's black belt. So it's not <laughs> like Daniel is like really well versed in the art of karate. But no. for the sake of this movie, we're completely gonna ignore that. And Daniel can now chop six different ice blocks with his bare hands. And <laughs> Miyagi ends up taking everyone's money and you know. I think I texted you about it is my favorite part is we see the return of scumbag Miyagi because the first part, the first time we see him is when, when he scams, uh, he scams Daniel into the tournament. He ends up stealing the dude's uh, black belt. And then of course, when Daniel asked, Oh yeah, what are the rules? Miyagi was like, rules. We don't need no stinking rules. <laughs> so when we get here, like, uh, pretty much Kumiko's trying to defuse or she's trying to tell Daniel that uh, he, you know, to defuse the situation Chosen refuses and tells him he has to essentially, like, he has to be a part of this bet or else they're going to kick the shit out of him <laughs> so he's like fine, I'll break through the uh, I guess I have to so then Kumiko finds uh, Mr. Miyagi and Yuki and when they come in the bar, instead of Miyagi defusing the scenario, he ends up putting like $600 on Daniel to break all of the ice. <laughs> and then, of course, when, when Chosen tries to say, hey, I can't cover that much money, his uncle Sato comes in because apparently no one has anything better to do. And literally, the- what the fuck does this guy do that he just had so happens to walk into this bar for absolutely no reason than to bankroll his nephew <laughs> against some sort of like American colonizer who's showing up trying to out karate all of them? So, so then he, he you know, he backs the money. Uh, Daniel ends up taking it and of course like Miyagi proving he's not a total scumbag ends up repaying uh, Daniel for the trip so that way Daniel doesn't act because earlier in the film he talked about how he didn't worry he didn't care about wasting money he would just go he would start college later or a year later like but he wanted to be there for his friend uh, so Miyagi gives him the money to uh, recoup his losses and that way he can actually start college on time so I'm like, okay, I, you know, Miyagi, you may be, you, you may have done it in a scummy way, but you're a good guy again. <laughs> <laughs> and also we get the, I guess um, now is as good a time to, of any to talk about the, the handheld drum and the drum technique in Miyagi-Do, right? Mm-hmm. So like, you know, there, there's the scene where um, Miyagi explains how his dad um went to went to china and came back with a uh drum toy and everyone's seen it it's essentially kind of like a paddle with a drum on it with the two with the strings and the balls and when you twirl it the idea is that uh the drums you know the the balls go around and they hit the drums and it just makes a very like rhythmic noise and uh miyagi explains that the like after playing with the drum his father um pretty much learned a new technique that was going to be the cornerstone of uh, Miyagi-Do. But, you know, you have to learn it yourself. Like, that's the idea. <laughs> right. And this is essentially, it's this movie's crane technique. Yeah. In the original Karate Kid, uh, we have the scene where Daniel and Miyagi are on the beach. 
Daniel catches Miyagi doing the kind of crane stance while he's standing on like a block, like a, one of those wooden blocks, right? And um, in this movie, and you know what's really funny about this is I feel like this thing or this little bit actually comes back in the 2010 remake with Jaden Smith there's a scene where he goes on some sort of field. And when we get to the 2010 karate kid, I think because we are part of it is we're following an American kid. That's in, you know, an Eastern country, like learning all these different customs. It's not new. We'll see it in, we talked in the early days of the podcast. We actually talked about this when we talked about (laughs) fast and the furious Tokyo drift. So there's an entire subgenre of like, you know, these, these young American kids who are like traveling to Eastern countries, but there's a scene in the karate kid remake where Jaden Smith, and I'll get into it once we get into that movie, but there's, there's a bit, there's some sort of like Cobra dance yeah, that takes the, place the in that scene. That's and, right. the, and to me, when I saw that, that was an absolute callback to karate kid two in this. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's definitely, this is something that not only, you know, do I remember it coming back to it in this and all this time? Will Smith remembers it <laughs> because it ends up coming back later in the series. And I'm, I, I actually do like this trope. Like, even you can call it cheesy, you can say whatever you want, but I like the, the trope that your your protagonist has to learn. Like, there is one thing that they learn through a very innocuous way that helps them ultimately in the end. Like, but then again, I think I mentioned it before that that's like a total hero's journey thing. And I'm fucking love the idea of the hero's journey when it's done well. Well, it serves several purposes. It's consistent with the original movie, which is, okay, Miyagi uses, in the first one, it, it's paint the fence. It's wax on, wax off. You use these, as you said, you use these like simple tasks to try to teach karate in some sort of way. This teaches Daniel not only how to fight, but as you said, you know what it actually does as well is it 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 gets daniel more interested in in kind of the dance of it all like daniel's not figuring it out mm-hmm. until he starts getting closer to kumiko and because she is a dancer that is where he kind of like starts to lean into the fluidity of it a little bit more mm-hmm. and it's again it's different it's different enough in that first movie that you're like yeah this is this is it that's the kind of shit that i was like yeah i I like i like his relationship with kumiko better than the relationship with him and ali and i didn't think i was going to come out of this movie thinking that but but this just development is so good to me and uh yeah i didn't expect it to be so rich i'll take credit for you liking kumiko more than ali because uh i'm pretty sure i texted you about it first and i was like yep kumiko's best girl (laughs) i stand by it damn it I will fight anyone about that. I will use the drum technique. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the the now the rivalry between Chosen uh, and Daniel is, begins escalating. Uh, pretty much after the um, after the 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 bar scene, uh, you know we we see how Chosen becomes more and more like violent and more aggressive. Um, you know, like we get the scene where I think it's uh, we we get the scene where there's um, who was it? It was Daniel and uh, Kumiko and they're walking around uh, the village, and then 
uh, chosen and his do and his friends like start harassing them while they're while they're out on their date, and then later on uh, when they go to the dance uh, to the local dance, we see like more of a confrontation where pretty much chosen like insinuates he's going to like have his way with kumiko <laughs> like where they end up taking her hostage and then uh daniel ends up using one of uh one of uh, mr miyagi's jokes about how he can attack from any position and then he pretty much punches chosen like uppercuts him right in the nards <laughs> and when they and they end up escaping but you know the entire time chosen just keeps um choosing violence essentially um and it, and it boils over to the point where chosen and his uh goons pretty much attack um daniel at miyagi's uh at miyagi's like home and they end up tearing apart uh miyagi's father's crops and just like destroying the um destroying the yard uh, Miyagi saves uh, Daniel from an ass whooping, and we get to see Miyagi kick the shit out of teenagers again, which is also satisfying. <laughs> and then, but after that, you know, seeing that the violence is never going to end, uh, Miyagi agrees to finally settling the blood feud between him and Sato, <laughs> essentially like saying that the that, um essentially saying that that this is going to end but however out of fear for uh daniel's safety he agree he tells daniel to pack his things and he's going to send him back to la before um anything bad happens to him uh so the night of the i think it's supposed to be the the original confrontation right uh this is when uh tommy village actually gets like blasted by a tropical storm Mm -hmm. uh and it just essentially a hurricane comes in yeah and and uh, the villagers all uh go to like a the like the local like town hall for to you know for refuge um so daniel and miyagi are running over to there uh to try to oh no i think he was with kumiko because I think it was when he was like trying to say his goodbyes to her. Oh yeah, no. It, yeah. So so this storm takes place before what I told you was maybe the most sexual tea ceremony I've ever seen in my life. It's not even a ceremony. It's literally like Daniel stepping into this like little shack where Kumiko is in and she's pouring herself tea and they're like gazing at each other longingly. That's right. And then we at one talk- point and then at one point she even lets her hair down before they kiss and i was like oh my god like this is getting really really intense for a kid's move <laughs> <laughs> you're just like fanning yourself <laughs> like oh geez oh, this is giving me the vapors <laughs> <laughs> i was clutching my pearls for a second so as the you know during while this storm hits after that um daniel and it was kumiko they're they're trying to meet up at the at the town hall for you know to to take refuge as well um and that's when they're trying to help people on their way over but what we end up seeing is that there is a little girl that's stuck on a telephone pole (laughs) well okay did they explain how she ended up up there 
I I don't remember how she got up there, and I don't know if they explain it at all. But for whatever reason, yeah, yeah, for whatever for whatever reason, you know, Daniel's the only one who can save her because Chosen is a coward. (laughs) (laughs) He's a big stupid piss baby. So Miyagi pretty much, um, you know, tries to sacrifice himself and say he'll go and do it. Daniel says no, that he'll do it because um, he's faster or some shit. I forgot what he says, but he just runs over. He climbs up and, uh, like you said, Chosen was, you know, his Santo is trying to tell him to go help Daniel. Uh, Chosen ends up <laughs> running away. <laughs> he just like runs into the storm, and we don't see him for like through like two days after that. <laughs> Yeah, he just like angrily just he angrily stomps away yelling and screaming into the darkness with his arms in the air. <laughs> I'm not a coward. You're a coward. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Daniel ends up saving the little girl getting back into uh getting back into shelter and as they're um the next day as they're rebuilding the town essentially, uh Sato apologizes to Miyagi and essentially squashes the the blood feud between the two so daniel um says that or you know he he, he talks to sato and asks him to um I th- what was it that he owned it was like a it was like a ceremonial castle right like he owned yes. the rights to, to the castle mm-hmm. he asked sato to host the the obon festival Yes, uh, which is this traditional festival that's celebrated in Tomi Village, and I mean, I don't know the cultural significance, so I yeah. apologize. For but me. apparently, they just couldn't celebrate it where they normally celebrate it in the village because the storm had destroyed basically the entire town. Yeah, sorry for being an ignorant Yankee, but yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so they so he agrees uh, and invites Daniel actually to join the celebration. So he tells him like, "What was it?" He goes, "We can have it there only if you agree to dance with us." Which I thought was a really cool moment. Like, you know, like they're accepting of Daniel. Daniel's also open to like learning more about Miyagi's culture and being a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we see Kumiko actually be able to perform the, the the dance at this festival. And of course, fucking piss baby chosen. Dude, okay. <laughs> no, this literally, you know what it reminded me of? Like just how out of left field it was. Like Mortal it Kombat. Li- no, no, not even. Well, not even. It just literally reminded me of like a scene in one of those Tim Burton Batman movies where, where the supervillain shows up at a party out of nowhere that they weren't invited to. Like, or, or like Two Face and Riddler. Like, it's just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this guy literally just like jumped out of the shadows. And- the best part is he zip lines in. Yes, it's like fucking. I'm not kidding. It's like a Batman villain entrance. Like, and then all of a sudden he's like grabbing kumiko and threatening her life and everyone else is just like gasping all around them <laughs> yeah not everyone rush him at once or anything right like chosen doesn't have superpowers like what the f- he's not an x-men what are you gonna do <laughs> like you can attack him someone throw rocks at him please <laughs> like i know you guys don't have guns but throw a goddamn rock or something but of course only Daniel is going to be able to save her. So this is where we get our final fight. 
<laughs> to which I asked myself again. I was like, man, do you remember when the series was about, <laughs> was about a high school kid being bullied who ends up winning a regional karate tournament? <laughs> now he's fighting this dude in a fucking like blood sport style kumite fight. <laughs> he's literally fighting a supervillain now. Mind you, this guy has a shank on him. Like, he has the butterfly knife, which he could stab Daniel with. It, and he literally could have stuck him. And then that's the end of Karate Kid, like, forever. <laughs> the very dark yet more realistic. <laughs> <laughs> no, but of course, he doesn't actually do that. And they have a one-on-one fight, which kind of one-on-one. Kumiko tries to get in on it. And she, like, gets a lick in until she gets knocked out by Chosen. Uh, and they have a back-and-forth battle. And of course, when things seem like they're at their, uh, when it's closest to defeat, uh, Miyagi and the rest of essentially the Tomi village start playing with the drum and of course creating like a rhythmic noise and causing, um, you know, pretty much at this point, uh, um, Daniel realizes what the principle of Miyagi-Do is, which is um, defend and strike. So mm-hmm. much like how the drum moves from one side to another, he devotes, you know, one hand for defense, one hand for offense. And, and much like even in it, it, the symmetry, much like even the beginning of the movie where Miyagi and Kreese have that little altercation out there, you know, it is not Miyagi that instigates it. You know, it is Kreese. Kreese is the one that's going on offense. Miyagi is going on defense. And we're going to see that same situation play itself out here in the end. Oh, I forgot to mention my favorite part about that that fight with Kreese and Miyagi because Miyagi's like, oh, because Daniel's like, oh yeah, you know how did how did you, how were you able to do that? Like, how were you able to like defend yourself? And then my my favorite thing and the most Miyagi response ever was, um, what was it? it? Was like, oh, the best defense is not being there when you. are when your opponent tries to land the punch <laughs> i was like miyagi's fucking great and that's one thing i didn't talk about earlier is he has like some very a lot of words of wisdom and my favorite part is he goes oh i just made that up right now <laughs> well Mi- miyagi is like miyagi is smarmy like that's the thing it's like that i didn't really like pay attention to until we came back to this it's like the first one yeah their relationship is a little bit more serious and stuff like that but as the series goes on miyagi is going to become more of a smart ass He's such a goofball. I fucking love it. <laughs> so anyway, using that principle of uh, def- you know defending yourself and attacking, he's actually able to land counterattacks as Chosen tries to attack. Um, eventually, um, eventually, <laughs> eventually, just like subduing him, and much like the you know the the parallel of uh, the Crease and the Miyagi fight, essentially being able to land the killing blow on Chosen. Um, Daniel asks him, "Live or die, man. You choose." And of course, Chosen, being obsessed with honor, says he chooses death. To which Daniel responds by honking Chosen's nose like a fucking goof, and then just dropping him. So, and much like the much like the last film, um, this movie cuts just essentially after that he embraces Kumiko the rest of the town cheers and that's it the movie just cuts to black and in credits like I like I like that Karate Kid like has these sudden endings because I think all of the movies in this series end like this it's a, it's a, it's 
it's a thing that they didn't have to bring back, but I'm glad that they make this the formula of the movie now. Cause it's like, you know, do, do we really need to see anything after this? Do we really need to see Daniel fly back to like those non-existent characters that never came back from part one? It's like, it's this like is, yeah, let's do we just really go. have to deal with that with the questions of it's like, what's he going to do with Allie now? <laughs> then has Kumiko and Okinawa. Like it doesn't let any of those logical worries set in because it's like, yay, they yeah. won. There we go. And uh, that's Karate Kid too. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Javi, I think it's important for me to ask, uh, do you like Karate Kid 2? Apparently not, because I hated the Karate Kid 1, according to you and the, like, three people that have bullied me about it. Oh, man. Afraid... You showed up again to rage on Karate Kid 2? Oh. I'm, af- I'm afraid to answer, because I feel like you're going to be like, you don't love it enough, so you fucking suck. <laughs> not right, so I really... do you love it enough? I mean, I don't think I love it enough. I like that it's, I mean, it's <sighs> a fun film. Jeez. What do you want from me? It's a fun film. I like Pat Morita as a character and an actor, you know. Uh, thought- do you like part one better? Do you hate part one more than you hate this one? <laughs> this is like the scene of The Simpsons where he's like, what do you hate about America, Mr. Simpson? Is it a free <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I feel like I like them both equally. Like, because okay. they're you know they're both uh i mean they're not telling such dissimilar stories like mm, I, I would argue they're telling very dissimilar stories but i'd say that they're both taking they're both they're telling those stories in a good enough way that they both feel of the same quality more or less i mean i don't know it's just i mean it all boils down to a bully a, a bullied kid trying to like overcome adversity and that's a sense like bare bones that's what karate kid is always going to be about mm. and i think this movie still captures that like original spirit of it i like that they changed um i like the change in scenery i thought that was really cool i thought uh it was really interesting how they had daniel in this fit you know they found a new way to make him a fish out of water but as opposed to in Karate Kid 1, where he was kind of like a little baby, a little piss baby. I'm going to keep saying <laughs> piss baby. That's my thing this episode. <laughs> Even though it was like a big piss baby in the first one, like this one, it was more him embracing the change um, and becoming a part of like this new environment that he's in, which was really interesting. And yeah, I thought the characters are really interesting. Like it sucks how we got there to Okinawa, but it's like once we got there, um, you know, I felt like I felt like all the characters were more compelling than than the first in the first film. In that sense, you know, I felt like Kumiko was better written, uh, love interest. I felt that Chosen was, holy shit, a much better written like villain. <laughs> because I mean, he actually pretty much he was a villain. Like he was an actual villain, especially with how this film kind of retcons what johnny lawrence like what happens to him at the at the end of the first one yeah i would argue that johnny lawrence doesn't become a character really until cobra kai so yes he's very much a background character and not really a major focal point villain the way chosen is here but yeah i like it i thought it was good and i think if you're a fan of karate kid it's definitely a good solid uh installment after the first one i this movie is actually really good. I wasn't expecting it to be as good as as it was. I don't think it's as good as the original. The original one is just too much of a classic for me. Um, 
I do think that again, the things that I've talked about <laughs> where, you know, one before we get to Okinawa, like all the setup is like those things where it's just like, God, I just want it to go faster and I want to hurry up and get out of here. Um, and it just, it just, I feel like the movie like doesn't really find it. Like it, it starts as like, we're picking up right where Karate Kid one left off. We're discarding all these characters that decided not to come back for the second one. And the movie doesn't really find its footing until we're in Okinawa. But once we're in Okinawa, it's it's there where the movie really figures out what it's about. It's interesting enough. It's different enough from part one that you can really enjoy it. Uh, the characters still feel like the, the characters of Daniel and Miyagi still feel the same way as if they did in part one. Like just it's weird that they're only together all the time, but at least we had that first movie that set all of that stuff up. So we don't really ask those questions. Mm -hmm. um, it has to, it brings them together more the fact that they're here. So once we get to, because, you know, for those who don't, for those who don't know, and I can't imagine anyone who doesn't, Pat and Marita will have passed away by the time Cobra Kai comes around, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the way that Daniel's daughter will kind of, you know, reverentially talk about Mr. Miyagi and how he was kind of like a surrogate grandfather for them. It's like these movies where you're watching the relationship between them develop, it's going to make that story richer by the time we get to that series later on. So uh, yeah, I definitely enjoyed this movie. I definitely enjoyed the Daniel Kumiko relationship way more than I even remembered it being like how, how good it was. So I really appreciated that we got back to this movie and then I got to kind of rediscover it because there was parts of it that I really didn't remember at all. Um, and, but <laughs> unfortunately I very much remember where the series is going to go next week. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, then, okay. The next movie is going to be the one that effectively kills the franchise. Um, so we will see uh, by the time we get there. At least it was good to have these like first two movies be of really good quality because we know where it's going to go from here. But we'll talk about that next week. We'll get, we'll see where it goes for the next two, possibly three movies, <laughs> depending uh, on how nasty you are. But yeah, like Angel said, thanks everyone for listening. We really do appreciate it. For those of you that, uh, you know, if you can, please leave us a, a review. Those of you that listen to us on apple mm -hmm. I, uh, apple yeah apple podcast yeah. if you listen to us on apple podcast please leave a review uh reviews on apple podcast is what helped increase the visibility of our show so if that's where you listen to us on and i do see the uh you know all the download data and all that kind of stuff so we still the majority of our audience does still listen to this on apple podcast so please leave us reviews there if you can uh, I really appreciate everyone who follows us on Spotify because Spotify is the second greatest platform of downloads that we get. So, Woo -woo! so thank you guys for continuing to follow the show and support the show. And uh, we look forward to continuing this uh, Karate Kid series. Um, you know, un the, the one thing that's unfortunate about this series right now is there are really good movies that are coming out right now that I wish we could review. And, I, and I'm hoping that you know, once we get through Karate Kid, that we'll be able to review something like Judas and the Black Messiah. Because oh my I god, think, I can't I think, wait to talk about that movie. <laughs> I think we need to talk about that movie. So we yeah. will either do it after Karate Kid, or maybe, maybe as we've been known to do, 
we'll surprise you with a bonus episode in one of these weeks or so. So we'll see. We'll see where it comes up. But that movie is definitely going on the schedule for this show. Um, but we'll talk to you guys next time for Karate Kid 3. Later, y'all.